Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by National Roper Supply. NRS has been providing quality Western wear and horse tack since 1989, and they are proud to be the number one Western store in the USA. From functional and fashionable Western wear and horse tack to essential livestock and horse supplies, NRS carries the products you need at prices you can afford. NRS is a one-stop shop for all things Western. NRS also carries our new line of modern cowboy brand apparel, caps, t-shirts, and hoodies, as well as the Cowboy Way protein powder. And for our listeners, use your special discount code, MODERNCOWBOY, at checkout for 10% off your entire purchase. And I just would like to thank all of you, our podcast listeners and customers, who have supported the Modern Cowboy brand and have been a part of our community since we launched in 2018, as well as all of the amazing guests who shared their stories on the show. Just remember, Modern Cowboy is the brand for the cowboy in all of us. Where are you cowboys and cowgirls at? Hey everybody, this is Dan Hillenbrand and welcome to Modern Cowboy, the podcast for the cowboy lifestyles and businesses around the world. I'm glad you're here, so sit back in your saddle and prepare to be inspired, motivated, educated, and entertained as I interview a new guest each week that embodies the modern cowboy. Podcast. Uh, super excited to have my guest on today, uh, Keith Ryan Cartwright. Uh, he goes by KRC, so I will refer to him as KRC during the podcast. But uh, uh, it's interesting. We we connected here, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago or so, and we got to talking, and we both were thinking we'd met before, and we, we just can't remember where. Uh, yeah. And uh, so uh, anyway, um, Keith has got this, this book coming out. Uh, Black Cowboys of Rodeo, Unsung Heroes from Harlem to Hollywood and the American West. And uh, when, uh, Keith, when, when's it going to come out again? Well, it, pre-orders are already um, available. And then the release date for the book is um, November 1st. Okay, perfect. So anyway, we're going to talk about that. And and Keith has was, was with the PBR for, for quite a few years. And we're going to let him tell us about that as well. We have a lot of mutual friends, um, other uh people I've had on the podcast as well. So, uh, KRC, welcome to the Modern Cowboy Podcast. 
Thanks for having me. And um, you're right. You know, we're, we're, we're two guys getting together and both of us are certain we've met. We just neither, luckily, neither one of us remembers. So <laughs> yeah. it's, interesting. It, it's, it's never good when one person distinctly remembers meeting and the other one doesn't. This is one of those cases where neither one of us are sure, but we may have met. Yeah. And it's funny. One of the things that even triggered me more was when I read Ty Murray's, um, uh, you know, uh, reference in your book, you know, uh, about your book and, and, uh, uh, that even triggered me more. It's like, I, I remember seeing that before or something. I, I don't know. But anyway, here, here we are, man. I'm excited to have you on. So, uh, Hey, tell, tell everybody a little bit, uh, you know, um, about you, how you got involved with the PBR and, in in rodeo and, and as, as much or, um, uh, you know, you want to tell us about your, your history. Yeah. Well, it goes, it predates even getting involved with the PBR. You know, for many years, I wrote about music and entertainment and uh, lived in Los Angeles and wound up in Tennessee. And then I went back and forth between Nashville and LA writing about music and movies and, and that type of stuff. And while doing that, I was hired by RCA Nashville to write the publicity bio for Tommy Shane Steiner. So obviously the famous okay. Steiner family with yeah. Bobby Steiner and Sid Steiner. And then Tommy was a country singer. And so I met the Steiner family and for, oh, about a year and a half, I never lived with them, but I was at their house or with them somewhere in the country um, more than I was at my own place in Nashville. Right. And that was my real introduction to the West. And what a family to introduce you to that. And so then, um, you know, fast forward uh, five, six years later, I was writing and producing television shows and one thing led to another. And I wanted to get back to writing, like just sitting and having long conversations like you and I are having today right. and then writing profiles and I really wanted to do it. My favorite sport is baseball. And so I called up a friend of mine who's an editor for Major League Baseball. And I asked him, what do, what do I have to do to, to take advantage of knowing you? There's no reason for you to hire me to write about Major League Baseball today. But what's the fast track? What can I do? And uh, one thing led to another. And he helped get me a job with the PBR. And he said, it's it's not about whether you can write about baseball. It's whether you can cover a professional sport for a whole season. And so the 2008 season, I got hired to go write for the PBR. They had never had a writer full-time on staff. Right. So they knew they needed one and they weren't really sure what that person would do. So I had total autonomy to, to, to develop the role how I saw fit. Like, what do you think you should be doing? and do it right um and so starting in 2008 that's what i did and i really only thought i was going to do it for the 2008 maybe the 2009 season right and then i would have the experience and the ability to go back to my friend with major league baseball and hopefully hopefully get hired well what happened is by the end of the 2009 season Man, I, I realized I was where I needed to be. Uh, 
And I had several baseball writers saying, why would you leave doing what you're doing? Like you had, not only do you have the autonomy to develop the role and do what you want in terms of storytelling, but you have unfettered access to these guys. Yeah. You come over to baseball and even if you work for major league baseball, there's going to be various levels of gatekeepers keeping you from really being able to do what you're doing now. So as a storyteller, you're going to be very disappointed. You're going to be at the ballpark every day, but you're going to be very disappointed. And ultimately I am a storyteller. I've been telling stories since I was eight years old. That's what I've always wanted to do. And so, um, I stayed with the, I stayed with the PBR and, and, um, in my mind, it was, it was about, it was about uh, stories and it wasn't even always about bull riding stories because I wrote about people and the canvas with, with which those stories were told behind the scenes right. was a bull riding event or a rodeo or the West, right. but it was really about, it was really about people. It was about ordinary people. And so rather than writing about how a bull rider or a rodeo athlete or a cowboy is different from everyone else in the country. I found the common bonds and I wrote about that. So I made readers feel like, hey, they're not, I'm not so different. Like we're the, we are similar in many ways. I'm not a cowboy. Right. So it was really finding how am I similar to them? Right. What, what, what do I have in common? You know, why is it when I started at the PBR, the, the first two people that befriended me and really took me under their wing was Ty Murray and Cody Lambert. And I got to tell you, I didn't really realize it at the time. I know now, (laughs) and I learned really quickly when you, when you get their respect, no one else is jacking with you. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. So once everyone started to see, holy shit, that guy is in with them that that just sort of opened the gates and um and and that uh that trust right um that really opened up some incredible stories that I got to tell that um I just I feel like I became a better storyteller and that's every every phase of your life or your career, you just want to get better at what you do. And I, and I absolutely became a better storyteller during my time at the, at the PBR. And I'm now better than I was when I left my full-time role. Right. Yeah. That, it's amazing. You know, and when you talk about, you know, cause the PBR and, and you, you, you played a big part in that too, uh, with the PBR has done such a great job, you know, at promoting the sport and and making it, uh, you know, just make more mainstream. You know, where yeah. people don't have to be a cowboy. You know, but yeah. you know, it, it, with with our brand, modern cowboy. You know, our our slogan is uh, this brand's for the cowboy in all of us, and everybody's got a little bit of cowboy in there somewhere. You know what I mean? And uh, uh, the, uh, the PBR has just done a, an amazing job uh, with doing that. And and on top of it, of course, you know, it's it is the toughest sport on dirt. <laughs> yeah, without yeah. a doubt. So, um, so, so you were there from 2008 to 2014. Um, 
and then obviously, you know, you, you, cause I, I remember seeing you, cause I remember seeing you sometimes behind, behind the shoots and stuff, you know, just, uh, uh, in, in some interviews and, and, and things. But, uh, and, and I remember even when I, when I first saw you, I thought, man, cause you didn't wear a cowboy hat, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, or anything. And, and I, I, back then I just kind of figured, man, I, I wonder where this guy came from. So it's so cool to hear, you know, how that did come about. Uh, did your like love for the sport, uh, you know, grow, or, or did you watch bull riding before, really? Or, I mean, I can't say that I was never at a rodeo or I had never been to a PBR event because I had been to one PBR event prior to being hired, right? And I've been to a couple rodeos growing up, right? Um, but it was I was not very familiar. As a matter of fact. I did a, I did a, um, a t- my, my interview right. to get hired <laughs> right. um, was 10 minutes with Sean Gleason, who's now the CEO of the, it's literally 10 minutes. Right. And at one point he said to me, he goes, Hey, I'm, I'm curious. What do you know about our sport? To which I replied, and this was either going to get me the job or it was going to lead to me not getting the job. Because right. if, if that issue was going to be an issue, it didn't matter what my answer was. So I just bared my soul and I said, well, Sean, I, I can tell you what I learned through Google in the last 48 hours waiting for this interview. Right. But it's going to come off as someone who's only read some stuff in the past 48 hours. Right. <laughs> but one thing that I did read is that you, you guys are marketing yourselves as the fastest growing sport and you want to reach a mainstream audience. I said, I write about people. I write pro you'll, you're not going to find someone who's going to outwork me in terms of telling profiles and telling stories. Right. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I will profile your guys but I'm going to do it against the backdrop of bull riding. So I don't need to know all the intricacies of, you know, into your hand, away from your hand, getting pulled down in the well, guys who can and can't ride. Like he tends to ride in the long round, but can't get past the bull in in the short round when they're 45 and a half, 46 point bull. Like that, all that knowledge came from being there every single week, you know, from, from January of 2008 through 2014, every single day, 365 days a year, whether I was technically on vacation or not, whether I was at an event or not, I either watched a bull riding live, watched a video of a bull riding, had a conversation with a bull rider or all of those, or had a conversation, like every single day I was doing something to learn about the sport. And what a lot of people don't know and would probably find, um, maybe be surprised by, is the amount of hours I spent on the phone with Cody Lambert and Ty Murray. And those are not phone-oriented dudes that spend a lot of time on the phone. Um, But you know, I had moved from Nashville to Colorado. They lived in Texas. They knew I was, I wanted to tell their stories. Right. I wanted to tell the stories of the PBR. I wanted to tell the stories of their dream and their vision and how they saw things. And they realized that I came at the storytelling with respect and a passion. 
I didn't I didn't have to wear a hat or cowboy boots right. or pearl snaps to be someone who respects their world. I respected their world enough to realize that if I showed up on week two thinking, oh no, I need to have a hat, pearl snaps, and cowboy boots, right. the costume, that's not real. You know, so I kept it re I was me. Right. You know, uh, I might wear polo shirts or T-shirts or a pullover and tennis shoes, you know, and my customary black rimmed glasses. Right. You know? I'm like not a cowboy. I didn't pretend to be. But I'm authentically, genuinely curious about people. And and like I said, um, the more I got involved and the more conversations I had, the, the more curious I got and, and just the, I, you began to find these um, um, incredible stories to tell. And then over time, you gain more and more trust from people. You know, your our mutual friends are, you know, Luke Snyder and Ross Coleman. Right. And in terms of the current bull riders when I was riding, because Ty and Cody were not. Right competing at that point luke and ross man they they those are those guys are um they don't look for reasons to push people away they find reasons to include people and right. they found reasons to include me some of that might have been um they wanted to hear stories uh from my early 20s when i was traveling with you know heavy metal rock and roll bands you know <laughs> but so but whatever it is that brings you together right it brought a, it brought us together and then we learn about one another and more importantly i get to learn about them and how did they get into doing what they're doing you know and um and and that's that's just what storytelling is it as a storyteller as much as you're the one sharing a story by and large you've got to be patient enough and quiet enough to listen yeah you know and so they realized that i genuinely did do um a lot of listening as opinionated as I would become by the time I left. Um, <laughs> I did do a lot of, I did do a lot of listening. I still do a lot of listening. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I, I this is fascinating and I'll, I'll tell you, I think we, we could do a couple more podcasts cause I'd, I'd love to hear some stories about the, uh, the rock and roll, uh, trail, um, you know, right. That, <laughs> that was probably, I mean, I mean, gosh, that's 25 years and a hundred pounds ago. <laughs> yeah, but it'd be, I bet you got some great stories and, and we're, we might just have to set that up. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's super cool how, you know, you, you got into the PBR and then how you stayed there for as long as you did and, and, uh, and, and everything you've done. I mean, I, I know that you obviously, uh, or just ha had a huge contribution into, in, you know, helping the PBR, uh, you know, uh, yeah, tell yeah. their story. Yeah. You know, but go ahead. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I. It's always nice when you hear someone else say it, right? But you know, like you and I were talking um, beforehand. When I got hired, the the PBR knew they needed a writer. Right. They didn't have one, so the role I had didn't exist. And when they hired me, they knew enough. We want a storyteller. And they gave me the autonomy to say, what does that mean? 
And so I got to develop the role. Um, and, and it was at a time when, when in the media, in the actual media, out in newspapers and magazines, they were starting to cut back their staff. They were starting to publish less. They were, newspapers were shrinking. Magazines were falling away. Like it was the beginning of that transition to what new media would be the internet, the right. wide world web, the, right. it was pre podcast, you know, pre, you know, all, right. all of that stuff. And so now through social media, uh, you look at the PBR, they have what over 3 million friends on Facebook. They've, they've got what a million and a half on, on Instagram. I'm gonna get these numbers wrong and I'm going to hear from <laughs> Angola with the real numbers. <laughs> Twitter's 300, 350,000 or whatever it is. It's a lot of people. They have an audience. They just need the content to get out there. And so I've always saw the PBR as a progressive organization so progressive that all the way back in 2008, they knew we got to get some storytellers on our, on our payroll. And right. now they have a whole staff of storytellers, you know, right. people right. involved in that, in that aspect. And, and when that fir when I first really started to see it that way, like I had told you, I, I wrote about music and, and movies and entertainment for a long time. And um, I had a, I went out to, to lunch once with a publicist who handled um, Kenny Chesney. And then when I first started writing, you, you always needed to have a few anchors, a right. few publications that were big. Because right. if you had big publications, you could get access to bigger stars. Right. And if in my case, at, at my peak, I wrote for anywhere from 12 to 17 newspapers and magazines and websites at any given time. Some of them were websites that published daily. Some of them were daily newspapers, weeklies, monthly magazines, whatever. I just, I had a huge amount of people that I contributed to. And so that gave me access to big names as well, because they knew uh, we can, we can give George Strait 15 minutes. Now it's only 15 minutes, but it's George Strait. Right. <laughs> I'm going to get him in probably eight of my 15 publications. So that 15 minutes got him eight media hits, right. you know? Right. And so that's how it worked when I first started out. Well, later on, I'm having this, this lunch with Kenny's publicist. And she said, we're at a point now. She said, Kenny has millions of followers on social media. She said, I don't care what outlet the person's with. It can be, it can be a really little outlet. She said, we, ha we have the vehicle to get the story to the people who, who want to read about Kenny. Right. I now, I'm now looking for writers who I know and storytellers who are great storytellers and will be great for Kenny's brand. Right. So rather than look for big hits, they're looking for someone who they're looking for people who are are going to share a story that's meaningful. Right. And then through social media, Kenny can get it out there or anyone, PBR in this case, PRC, you know, whomever, they can get it out to their audience. They just need the content. So it's like there's been this change 
over the past 10 to 15 years as to um, what media is and, and how, how we go about getting our, getting our message out. Yeah. 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 It definitely, uh, it, it definitely is a whole new world. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, just like you say, the, the podcasting, when I jumped into podcasting, there was only a, a, a you know, small handful of, you know, Western podcasts. And now there's, there's a lot more. I've helped a lot of people, several people, you know, get theirs going. And uh, it's, it, it, like you say, it's a, it's a, a whole new way of marketing and, and, uh, yeah. and it, it's great. So how did this lead up to this book? Had you written a book before or is this your first book? There was one, there was another book um, while I was with the PBR, there was a PBR book that okay. the, the deal wasn't with me. The publisher made the deal with the PBR and then myself and Jeff Johnstone uh, put all the materials together and um, uh, Triumph Books, which at the time was distributed by Random House, mm-hmm. they they published um, that particular book. It's called um, The Official Guide to the Toughest Sport on Earth. It, it It's interesting. It has, it has as many photos as as a uh, picture book would have like a coffee table book. Right. But it has more, it has more writing in it than a coffee table book would normally have. And so that was my contribution is, is I wrote all these, there's several entries throughout the, throughout the book. So there's a lot to read. um, But it is kind of structured like a, like a coffee table book. Whereas the book that's about to come out, this is, I mean, it's it's 400 pages and it's 400 pages of reading. Right, right. And so it's available for pre-order now. Um, and uh, when do you anticipate it, uh, you know, hitting bookstores or? November 1st. And oh, okay. um, November 1st, wherever books are sold, even right now for pre-orders, uh, wherever wherever you buy books, if you're most comfortable buying your books um, on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, or you got that, that, that favorite um, indie bookstore like Book Soup in Los Angeles or mm-hmm. Parnassus in Nashville, whatever the the uh, I think the tattered cover in Denver, where wherever uh, wherever you feel the most comfortable buying books, wherever you go, it's available there for uh, for pre-orders between now and November first. Now, will you do an Audible version as well, or? Um, yeah, they told me that there will be a. Um, an audio version of the of the book i at this point i'm not sure who's going to read it okay um, won't be me it won't We're, no <laughs> it'll be it'll be it'll be a professional voice actor it'll be it'll be somebody i don't whether whether we get a um whether they hire an actual actor that people would recognize or right. it's a voice that you might have recognized that you've heard before i really don't I really don't know. Um, and it won't come out in November. I think the audio book um, will come out sometime next year. Um, but, and it may come out when the paperback version comes out. So gotcha. Something like that. Well, you got uh, Danny Glover to do the write the foreword in the book, so it, he'd be a great one to have uh, to read it. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. No, no kidding. That, that's a very, very recognizable voice there. <laughs> Very recognizable boy voice. Um, so there's a there's a black cowboy who's an actor, an Emmy winning actor, um, Glenn Turman, and and I've I've mentioned his name to uh, 
my publisher that that Glenn just man, dude's got a voice that just would be awesome to listen to reading the uh, reading the book. I, I I don't know if he only has interest in being um, on television and in the movies, or if he if he would want to even do a, a, a an audio book. But um, when I read every once in a while, when I read parts of the book. I can hear his voice when I'm, when I'm, when I'm reading. So I may be, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know, but I would love, I would, I would love for someone like that to, to get an opportunity. Yeah. So <clears throat> what, what, what inspired you to write this book? Yeah. So sh- shortly after, well, I started it, like I said, at the PBR in 2008, 2009, mm-hmm. by 2009, man, Ty Murray and I were like best friends. And uh, he introduced me to Murtis Deitman, um, who at the time was about 70 years old. Mm-hmm. And um, he, uh, he was the first African-American to ever qualify for the national finals rodeo. And um, even though he never had anything to do with the PBR, he was inducted into the PBR Ring of Honor. And um, Ty had a big part in in making that happen. And we just were having a conversation one day and he told me about Murtis. And then he introduced me to Murtis. And um, when I got done with my first conversation with Murtis, just meeting him out of curiosity all the way back in 2009, long before I ever thought about this book. Right. After that first conversation, I said to myself and later to Ty, one day I'm going to become an author and I want to write that guy's biography. And so initially, I always have had it in my mind. I'm going to write Murtis Dayton's biography. And then I had I was fortunate enough to, you know, I could call Murtis on the phone and and talk to him. It's a little tough talking to him over the phone. It's He's a little easier in person. Right. Um and and then I got to spend some time with him in person. And one thing that I one thing that I learned is as um, Murtis doesn't just out and out talk about himself. If you ask a question, he'll give you an answer. But if you leave it up to him to determine where the conversation is going to go, he's going to talk about his friends. So he's going to say, "Hey, do you know Freddie Gordon?" "No, I don't." And he's going to tell you about Freddie Gordon. "Do you know my friend Harold Cash?" And he's going to tell you about Harold Cash. And then he's going to say, do you, um, have you ever met Bailey's Prairie Kid? And I said, man, I've never even heard of Bailey's Prairie Kid, but that sounds like the name of a guy I should, uh, I should get to know. He goes, oh yeah, you should meet Bailey's Prairie Kid and his son, the cold duck kid. And I thought, oh my God, I got to meet these people. And so basically I realized, I came to this epiphany that, if I get an opportunity to write a book about a black cowboy, I should write about black cowboys because I don't want people, if I'm so fortunate to write about Murtis, to read a book about Murtis and think he's an anomaly rather than the norm. Gotcha. And, and then, um, so 2017, when I first got started, my initial thought was I'm going to write a book about black cowboys. Cowboys. I didn't necessarily narrow it to rodeo cowboys. Well, once I started realizing just how prevalent black cowboys were in the 1800s, mm-hmm. and then I knew how prevalent they were in the 1900s in terms of rodeo, and it was more prevalent than you thought, I was like, 
how am I going to put all of this in one book? And so then that's when I narrowed my focus on what, write what you know. And I didn't necessarily know the story of black cowboys, but through the PBR, I knew bull riding and rodeo and wet in the, in Western sports. Yeah. So I narrowed it to black cowboys of rodeo. So that at least took about 75, 50 to 75 years of history off of my plate right. and left me with a hundred year window to how do I tell the story of that hundred, hundred years. And, um, and so what I've done is um, I don't, I don't believe there's any book or any documentary. When you hear people describe something as the definitive story of this or that right. definitive, there's, there's someone's whole life. And, and you're going to say that your 400 pages are definitive 400 pages and this person lived 80 years or 100 years or it whatever whatever you're covering so i don't have my book isn't the definitive story of black cowboys of rodeo but it's a very comprehensive look at 100 years of black cowboys of rodeo and and how i structured it is each chapter is a profile that lives in and of itself and, and so I organized them basically in chronological order. So you could either choose to read about your favorite cowboys that you already know, okay. or if you read it from front to back in chronological order, you will see the evolution of the uh, accomplishments of black cowboys over a hundred year period, you know, or you, any one of these stories lives in and of itself. So you can tackle it any way you choose. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when, you know, because you, you sent me a PDF copy, and I, like I said, I hadn't read it yet, but I was able to look, look over it. And that's the first thing I noticed was as I went through first, you know, several pages, was it's, it's just seemed to me very comprehensive. That's what I thought. And and I love the way you did it chronologically too, because it, it, like you said, it it tells it it, it tells a story, you know, uh, you know. It, yeah, and and every chapter also also lets you know where it takes place. Right. It lets you know we're in Okmulgee, Oklahoma. We're in Chicago, Illinois. We're in Hollywood, California. We're in Harlem. We're in Brooklyn. We're in Houston. We're in Crockett, Texas. We're in Tulsa. It's so it's 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 also a roadmap, right? Right. And by having all those cities listed, it 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 lets readers quickly know black cowboys are everywhere. Yeah. And they're not only in they're not only in Compton and Watts or Brooklyn and Harlem and Chicago, but they are in Crockett, Texas. They are in Oak Mulkey. They, they are in Stillwater, you know? So you, you, you immediately know when you sit down to write about Bud Bramwell, that the Bud Bramwell story takes place in his hometown of Stanford, Connecticut, and where he ends up living in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really, I'm looking forward to, uh, Definitely looking forward to to reading it, um, and uh, yeah, I think it's super cool. You know, I've I've had uh, um, Randy Savvy from the Compton Cowboys on the podcast. I mean, he was one of the first guys I had on, and and that was a surprising story because 
uh, I had no idea, uh, you know, that, that, that the story behind that and his aunt is just, is, is crazy. You yeah, know? yeah. No, no. Well, and, and when you read my book, you're going to, there's, um, let, let five chapters that take place in California. Right. So not only are you going to, um, I don't write about Randy, but I, but I do, I do have a chapter near the end of the book, um, with Trey Hosley, uh, uh, Stanley Taylor and Chris Bird, and, and the three of them are from, they're from Compton and they're, they're in their late twenties to 30 years old now. Right. And they go from Compton to, uh, Maryville, California, and they ended up living with the Rosser family for a long time and working for the flying U yep. rodeo company. Um, but not only present day, I go back and get you the origin story with with Tommy Cloud, who came from Texas to Los Angeles and basically is the catalyst to even launching and starting the whole movement of black rodeo cowboys in Los Angeles all the way back in the 1950s. Yeah. Yeah. Very you know, cool. Um, and that that would that would later lead to charlie sampson's opportunity and yep. and that would also lead to um uh dahaji gladney grew up wanting in watts wanting to be the next charlie sampson so he would look at pictures and dress just like charlie sampson and he was right. little like charlie sampson and he goes on to as much as he started out and wanted to be a bull rider he becomes a, a pretty successful uh jockey in california and later becomes the exercise trainer for um california chrome the, the kentucky <laughs> derby winner you know and yeah. he's really a cat and how he got the job when he got hired it was specifically they hired him because he had been a bull rider and so many exercise unlike the trainer the exercise trainer's got to get on the horse every right. single day right <laughs> and chrome is really big and sort of known as an ornery son of a bitch right and so a lot of the exercise trainers were like i don't want to get on him every day and and just get beat up and kicked around and so they reached out to Dahaji and said, hey, you used to ride bulls. Um, would you have any interest in riding Chrome every day and, and, and helping train him? And he said, I'm, I'm not intimidated by that. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> and so he literally got hired because of his background as a as a bull rider. He wasn't he didn't fear getting on this big, strong horse every single day. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and when you started, now you started writing the book in when? 2017? Yeah, July 1st, 2017 is the date that I mark as the day. Now, mind you, I've been thinking about this since 2008. Right. right? So I've had thoughts in my mind for nine years before that. But July 1st is the day that I sat down and I said, I sat at my laptop and I said, all right. Now it's no more thinking. Now, now I'm doing what am I, what in the hell do I do? And I, and I started the process, um, that day. Now, does it, did, you know, obviously the book's completed now. Did it go as you anticipated or did you, not you even know, close. Not even close. <laughs> I'm actually writing a column for my publisher right now. <clears throat> um, on July 1st, 2017, 
I did not know that I would make multiple trips to New York City. I love New York, my favorite city in the world. Right. But I didn't think I was going to be going there for a Black Cowboy book. And I made multiple trips to New York City. Um, I I didn't, I knew that Charlie Sampson came from Watts, but I didn't realize that I was going to befriend two dozen or more black cowboys from 80 years old to, to 25 years old from Los Angeles. And that it would, and that the, the, that community was going to be as prevalent as it was. I had no idea. I would have written a book. I would have written this book no matter what, right? But I had no idea the impact that Facebook would have on my book. And had I not had, had, had Facebook never come along, I would have written this book, but it would have been very, very different because I, I would venture to guess 35 to 40% of the book I learned about on Facebook. No kidding. Absolutely. I'm gonna, I mean, um, from day one, I documented my, my experience on, on social media. Right. And at, what I was doing was I, want, I was establishing myself as someone who knew something about black cowboys. Right. And then, and then I would get people making comments and that, that, that be early on began to, you know, sure up in my mind, man, people are really interested in the subject matter of black cowboys. Then I started to get people leaving comments like, Hey, have you talked to the Smith family in Stringtown, Oklahoma? No, but I guess I'm going to go find the <laughs> Smith family. Have you met the LeBlancs in Oakmulgee? No, but I'm going to look up the LeBlanc family. What what was the name again? Oh, Kenneth and Clarence. Let me <laughs> let me find them. And then you find Kenneth LeBlanc on Facebook. And then all of a sudden, you know, Donald Stevens friends me on Facebook and said, "Hey, I heard you're writing a book about black cowboys and I'm reading all your going back and scrolling through your timeline and reading all your posts about your all this research you're doing um my brother and I are black cowboys um would you be interested in talking to us absolutely and then I find out their dad was a cowboy and their dad was not only a cowboy he was one of the first six black firemen in the city of Tulsa and so he was a fireman and a cowboy. And so he introduced his kids. Kids grew up as cowboys. And then the two brothers, um, they're mirror images of their dad. So they went on to become firemen. And then, and so then the, the, the Stevens family that became the first father-son family um, of black firemen in the city of Tulsa. But they're also cowboys and they would rodeo and one brother rodeoed more than the other and then they used to have um um jackpot rodeos in their literally in their backyard they built an arena and then that in their backyard is where marcus friday met the legendary uh charles evans who's known as the black voice the, the voice of black rodeo and marcus emulated Charles and they, and they met in the backyard of these steep, you know, so like all these different stories, there are little 
little connections yeah. and they build off of one another. And I met all these people through, uh, through Facebook, you know, I met Bud Bramwell through Facebook and he was one of the main forces behind the first ever all black rodeo in Harlem. And Muhammad Ali was the grand marshal of this three mile long parade of cowboys down what is now Martin Luther King Boulevard and over the bridge onto Randall's Island in the middle of the Harlem River, where they held um, this black rodeo in the cultural capital of black America. It was is September 4th, 1971. And was it was the seminal moment in black rodeo being being where it was and the fact that woody strode the great actor and oh, yeah. he was there and 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 like i said muhammad ali went there and and that is only going to be surpassed um next month the the um the pbr is hosting a bill pickett invitational rodeo in las vegas um the rodeo is being held on june 13th but then it's going to air on network television, CBS television on June 19th, which is famously known as Juneteenth. And it'll be the first time that an all black rodeo is not only on television, but on network television. Um, and the fact that it took 50 years after that Harlem rodeo to get to this point is, is um, uh, it's kind of sad that it took that long, but hey, it is what it is. And and but that moment and the importance of this all black rodeo being on network TV and of all days to be on Juneteenth, um, that'll now become the the seminal moment of all black rodeos, and it's it's happening right now. So right now is is uh, a very crucial time where you know light is being shown on on a lot of these great stories and not only are not only are the current crop of of black cowboys getting some notoriety but through that light people are going back and 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 um, their curiosity is drawing them to these stories of the past like the ones that are in in my book, you know, yeah. rising tides lift all ships. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's great. Um, June nineteenth, my birthday, so um, I've got that there to look go. forward to to watch on 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 my birthday. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. it's a Saturday afternoon this year. Yeah, yeah awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we're we're getting close to the end of our time now, I, and I got I ask everybody these these questions on my podcast, so. Uh, do you have a favorite brand of cowboy hats? I, I, um, do you own a cowboy hat? Let me just ask you that. I do not own a cowboy hat because like I, like I said before, I, I mean, know I got you <laughs> now. Um, I, it, I'm not opposed to it. It, it you know what I mean? It's right. just, I personally haven't gone out and bought one. I will say in the magazine Cowboys and Indians, yes, I did a huge profile about five years ago on the history of um, Stetson hats. So, um, is it cheesy to say if I don't own a hat, my answer would be Stetson? But no, it's, but it's because I wrote this story about the whole history of of the Stetson and just how prevalent and pervasive it is in in a in society today 
Like there are, it, it's weird. Like I probably should have a hat because I don't think you have to be a cowboy to wear a hat, but I know real cowboys and I don't know if I can wear a hat in front of a real cowboy. <laughs> well, I, I think, it, I think it's totally fine to still have a favorite brand and, and Stetson is, uh, is an icon, you know, particularly, uh, you know, when I grew up, you know, in the in the '60s, '70s, you know, back then Stetson was, it seemed like it was just the kind of the premier hat from you know back in the day, and 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 yeah. the, some of their marketing and stuff. The the thing with the cowboy uh, giving his horse water out of a Stetson is just is, is iconic, and I just I I love that uh, I love yeah. that that picture. I, so I, I don't know I don't know what Luke Snyder wears, but if I wore a hat. Luke, if you're listening, I'm, I'm still <laughs> waiting for you to buy me one one day. Dude, dude his hats are badass, right? Because they're real wide brimmed in the front and how they come down. I, lo- I, I just, I love how his hat is shaped. And uh, I mean this with all due respect, Luke, um, the one, one of the, one of the common ground that you and I have is he and I both have a big head. <laughs> and I'm not talking about egos. Right. And, and so I know that I could get away with wearing his hat. What what size what size hat do you do you wear I anyway? I mean, when I buy a baseball hat like what you're wearing, right. it's uh seven and three eighths. Okay, yeah. But I don't know, I think my head must be getting bigger because a seven and a half used to just like would blow off in the wind. Right. And now half the time the seven and three eighths feels perfect. And sometimes I'm like, whoa, it's getting a little snug. And the seven and a half doesn't feel like it's going to fall off as easy. But it, I, I, I guess I would still say three eight, seven and three eights. Yeah. Kind of in between those. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's perfectly legit for you to say uh, Stetson. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a long wind. I'm long winded, as you've already <laughs> found out. That's my long winded answer to a Stetson. <laughs> I like it. Um how about cowboy boots? Do you, do you own a pair of cowboy boots by chance? I do. Okay. I do. I do have a pair. Um, and um, they're Ariat. Okay. Uh, and there again, maybe cheesy. I was with the PBR and Ariat's a big sponsor. And, you know, one thing led to another and I have a pair of Ariat. Well, you know, the thing about Ariat is uh, there's there's so many things that I love about that that, that company that what you know, uh, but what they they were very innovative uh, in terms of technology with their with their boots, you know. And obviously, I know you know a lot. It's not all made in, in USA and whatever, but they are they influence a lot of USA made companies too to to do things just like with their some of their boots fit like almost like a tennis shoe. You know, they're very comfortable with the insoles. Well, once you get it on. Yes. So one thing I found is, man, some sometimes it you're uh, you got to get. I don't know when you're putting it on. When you're not someone who wears them every day, it doesn't always. It does. Your foot doesn't always go in as easy as it would in a tennis shoe. But once you're in the boot, it 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 can feel like a tennis shoe. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and that's part of you know a, a good fitting cowboy boot too. Is you know that instep is is going to be. You want it to be snug there, you know. So once you yeah. went, once once you get past that, uh, you know, and you get seated in it, uh, like like you say, they are they are very comfortable. Yeah, very comfortable. How about uh, Western movies? You got a favorite Western movie? Bucking the Preacher, first all black cowboy movie um, with Sidney Poitier and and Harry Belafonte. 
and my my uh, uh, I know a whole bunch of um, black stuntmen who worked on the movie, and one being one of my good friends, um, Tony Brubaker was Sidney Poitier's uh, stuntman, and the and the late uh, Doug Lawrence did uh, all the stunt work for uh, for Harry Belafonte, and um, I know a lot about that movie because, like I said, when I first started working on the book, it was just going to be Black Cowboys. Right. So I didn't know if this would come into play. So I quickly seized the opportunity to go talk with guys like that. And now um, I'm already working on my next book, which is The Emergence of Black Stuntmen in Hollywood. And so uh, Tony is a is a is is a big part of big part of that book. Awesome. Now, uh, are 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 you thinking of possibly a, a movie down the road, or? Man, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll say this: everyone thinks they have a book, a story <laughs> that's worthy of a book, and everyone who has a book thinks they have a book that's worthy of a movie. So the answer is yes. But you know, um, I'm egotistical enough to say that I don't only have a movie. If if you look at that. There are several chapters that can be grouped together, and that is a movie. And then there's some other chapters that group together. That's a movie. And some of the chapters in and of themselves could be a movie. And then the whole thing could be a documentary. So there are a lot of options. I'm, I'm, I'm egotistical enough to tell you, once you read the, once anyone reads the book or they see it just thumbing through, you'll quickly realize there are many options for 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 movies. So the answer to that is yes. Well, I, I just with you talking about that there, um, it could be a, a really good uh, Netflix series. Yeah, yeah, really could. Absolutely, I, um, and there are plenty of. There's four of the chapters are profiles of Hollywood actors. I mean, James Pickens Jr. plays Dr. Weber on uh, Grey's Anatomy. He's yep. a he's a he's a cowboy. Glenn Turman, who I mentioned, um, he's a uh, he's a cowboy. He was just um, on Netflix on Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And before that, he was on FX. He was on the uh, Chris Rock season of uh, Fargo mm-hmm. and uh, Oba Baba Tunde. He's a character actor. Um, He's a black cowboy, Reginald T. Dorsey, who kind of started his Hollywood career alongside Johnny Depp in 21 Jump Street. He's a black cowboy. You know, Danny Glover wrote the foreword. Um, uh, Blair Underwood, who you and I would remember when we were growing up on L.A. Law. Yep. He's been on a shit ton of stuff since, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I, I first was introduced to, to, to Blair when he was on L.A. Law. Um, he, he, he gave a, an advanced blurb about the, you know, kind of, um, talking about how much he enjoyed the book. Um, so Hollywood's well aware of, of the, the stories that are in Black Cowboys of Rodeo. Yeah. Very, very, very cool. Well, KRC, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm so glad, so glad that uh, that we that we got you on here, and and I'm so excited to read your book. Um, and I'm 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 also really excited to to maybe have you back on because I think we got a lot more stuff to talk about. Um, oh, we can we can talk about a lot of we can we'll um we can talk about a lot of a lot of a lot of things. Um, that rock and roll stuff you were talking about that was that was a it feels like another life ago that I was touring with Poison, but um, I guess it wasn't all that long ago, but. 
Uh, oh, did you you toured with Poison? I I uh, every uh, yes yes I I, I, I have. Yeah. Uh, well, we're going to talk about that, but but this is one of the things I talk about on the, on the podcast all the time. Is I mean, there's a line from a song, uh, just like every cowboy has sings a sad, sad song. I mean, the the term cowboy and in in uh, just the iconic you know image of cowboy is it's permeated throughout our entire society, and so that's the first thing I think of when when you said poison is is that the that's that lyric? The, yeah, that lyric from the song. Every every rose has a thorn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, well, it's just like with the PBR, what they've done the last few years with their B cowboy. Yes. I mean, you know, that, and, and your, and your slogan about the cowboy and all of us there, there, it's a spirit. It is, it, there's, it's not, it's interesting. There is an iconic image of a cowboy. Right. And, and, and it's, it's crazy that, that for a lot of people, the first image they get, like someone, not necessarily you, where you're in the cowboy lifestyle, right? But when you bring up cowboy, when we say the word cowboy to someone who it's not in their everyday vernacular, right? The, the image, the, the image that most people think of when they think of a cowboy, the quintessential cowboy, is John Wayne. He's actually an actor playing a cowboy. Right, right. You know, so um, but and so that just goes to show you, like a lot of people don't we don't read our history. We see history. And then and then sometimes we see things that pique our interests or are out of curiosity. We go and read about after the fact. Right. We see it. So it's pretty safe to say just about everybody can envision. John Wayne, whether he's the quintessential cowboy or not. Right. By default, he's become the quintessential cowboy because everyone knows what that image looks like. Right. And uh, yeah, so we all have, we all have, it's, there's a, beyond the image, there's a spirit. Yes. That embodies the cowboy way that it, that a lot of us have. It's just not all of us are fortunate enough to um, have someone point out, hey, that's, that's cowboy like, right? You know, right. and whereas I've just been a curious person, and that curiosity led me to the Western way of life, um, not to become a cowboy, but but to but to want to share those stories, and in sharing the stories, I found all these you know similarities, and I think you came by it not as a storyteller, but you came by it the same way, right? I mean, you discovered. You discovered that culture and your curiosity has led you deeper and deeper and deeper into the to, to, toward the vortex of it. Exactly. You know, because I wasn't raised on a ranch, you know, but uh, yeah. uh, it's just something that, you know, I, I'm sure it has to do with watching Westerns when I was little, you know, because my dad wasn't a cowboy either. You know, he 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 wanted to be and and, you know, he worked uh, at ranches and had to work that kind of t- type of work when he was young. But, uh, but yeah, so it's just something that just continued to develop. And then, and, uh, you know, um, at this point now, uh, it's, I don't know, I'm just always been fascinated by it. So, you know, once, once I got in, was able to get into the world and, and, and try to be like these guys, like, you know, you just think of, like we talk about Luke Snyder or, or Ross Coleman, you know, uh, 
it's I know I'm not going to be those guys, but I love to just identify with them in, in what they do, you know, and, and I just play my little small part is, you know, playing Cowboys, you know, to a certain degree. Uh, and, yeah. and, and again, it's it's trying to just expose people that may not be exposed to the to the lifestyle. Or may not. It's just like somebody who watches baseball. You may not be a great baseball player, but you may love the game and have season tickets. You know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like everybody grew up playing baseball or softball, and you know, I, I was, I loved that game. Yeah, I loved it. And growing up as a as a kid in in junior high and even into high school, um, I was pen pals with the late Tommy Lasorda, the coach of the Dodgers. Yeah. And I used to write him, I used to write him a letter twice a year. And now as a, as a kid, I thought, oh my God, Tommy Lasorda is writing me back. As an adult, I realized someone in the, in the, in the uh, community relations department took a hankering to my letters, right. and sent, sent stuff back, you know, but I have in my office of a framed photo of Tommy Lasorda that said, to keep the future Dodger, your pal, Tommy, because I used to, I would write him in the spring and I would tell him all the things I need to work on to be a better baseball player this year. Yeah. And then in the fall, I would write him again to say, I didn't quite make all my goals, but now I, I know what I need to work on for next season. And I would write him again, tell, you know, yeah. just like letting him know like, I'm doing everything I can to one day be part of the, the, the Dodgers organization. Now I knew ultimately I wasn't good enough to ever play. I wasn't even a starter on my high school team for crying out loud. Right. But had I not gone to a Motley Crue concert and said, I'm doing that. Right. <laughs> I feel I, I, there, I am still convinced that I, I would have pursued coaching and that I somehow could have been involved. I would have, I would have found a way to be involved in professional baseball. Right. Like, but, but I, but I went, I went, I went to a, a Motley Crue concert and said, I'm going to do that. And then my, I graduated from high school and my cousin got a record deal and I moved to Los Angeles and I started touring with rock and roll bands and, and I used, I used that as my access point as a storyteller to uh, to start writing about music and movies and entertainment. And yeah. um, and that's that's how that, you know, I never started out by writing about local bands. I started out by I mean, one of my first interviews was sitting down with Quiet Riot. I had no business <laughs> interviewing them, that, but that was like my first interview right. was quiet riot yeah well you know what you just said there that really struck me is through the modern cowboy podcast and in the brand and everything that you know we've developed since we you know launched it in 2018 we we never launched it uh thinking that we were going to do what we're doing now uh it's actually launched as a different company originally with a team roping device but yeah uh, for for me that's that's what it's allowed me to do it's allowed me to be part of uh, this community and meet people just like you um uh, and and all the people I've had on on the podcast like I was able to get Shorty Gorm on the podcast early on which just uh you know I was just beyond thrilled I I'd made a list when I started the podcast of people I wanted to have on and and I would look at that list thinking man I don't know if I can get that guy you know and then pretty soon 
you know, all of a sudden I'm getting all these great people on, and who am I to be interviewing them? I, I have no professional interview skills whatsoever other than I, I like to talk. And, uh, you know, and, and so now that this is, I've got over 160 episodes, and it's it's just, it's like you say, it's just being able to be a part of it. You know, I know I'm never going to be a Ty Murray, who to me is, you know, one of the, I mean, the guy rode in three events every time he went to a rodeo, okay? I mean, so let's just try to, try to, fathom that you know but uh, i want to say this uh i want to i want to before you get too far away from it when you said who am i to interview people i'm just a guy who likes to talk <laughs> not only talk but it, 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 there's two skills you have to have and you don't go to college to learn them curiosity and listening yeah. if 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 you have a genuine curiosity that the conversations started yes. and then a willingness to, to, to actively live, not just listen, like you're quiet and then waiting to ask your next question. Cause I can tell you don't have questions necessarily scripted out. Mm-hmm. You may have some bullet points like, Hey, a couple topics you can go to if we hit a, a dead spot. Right. Right. But you're actively listening so that when I shut up, the next thing out of your mouth has to do with what the hell I was just talking about or right. whoever is your guest that day or who's ever with you at a table, you know, having dinner or coffee, you know, just how to actively listen. There's not everybody can active listen. Right. And, and a good podcast host is an active listener and an active listening to me is a direct result of, having some kind of curiosity. Like, I don't want to hang out with a lot of people, right? but I like getting to know people. And I don't, um, uh, like a lot of guys that we're friends with, they like living out and not being, not having many people around them. Right. I like, I like going, uh, the reason I like New York City is I like to be among millions of people and not know anybody. Right. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to know anyone and I don't want anyone to know me. Like now I live in, you know, Murfreesboro and I go around town and now I've been there for four and a half years and all of a sudden I'm out for a walk and, and the horn toot toot. It's like, Oh, I'm never walking down that street again. <laughs> I love anonymity. Yes. Way. Does that make sense? Like it's weird. I'm, I want everyone to know who I am and that I wrote a book, but I right. like anonymity in my everyday life, wherever I'm at. And when I, when I start to not feel anonymous, I get a little squirrely and move. Yes. That's, that's interesting. You know, my goal in in my dream was always to live, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I mean, you know, just in the middle of 10,000 acres somewhere. And we actually had a ranch pretty close to uh, the flying you up there rosters. We used to, we used to go up there and rope with Julio and them and uh, he'd have his Christmas ropings and stuff. So, you know, so we were out there, but now I, we live in Wickenburg right now, which is, uh, you know, definitely a country place. But my wife and I, we love to go down to Chandler and Gilbert where, there's you know all the restaurants and all the activity and nightlife i I just find myself uh, you know at this point in my life where i like to be around that a lot you know kind of the same thing where you're around a lot of people you maybe don't know but you're seeing new people you you know interacting with different people and and uh but then again it's nice to be able to come back up and you know have the uh, the solitude as well so yeah yeah Yeah. we change we change over time you know and absolutely uh, 
Yeah, no Absolutely. doubt. Yeah, you know, just to your to your point too about uh, you know listening to people. I think one of the the coolest things about the podcast, you know, because the podcast is just it's made by the the guests, the people I've had on it. But every time, just without fail, every guest something comes up, and and I just go, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. Just like w- with you, and you said you used to tour with rock and roll bands, and then you tell me you tour with Poison. I'm just like I'm like blown away by that, you know. And it's just I just think it's so great to learn these things about people, uh, and and all the things they do, and and and. Uh, that's one of the one of the things I just love about doing the podcast too. You know, it's just you you learn so much about about people's lives and and uh, it's just super super cool. Man, we get one life, and um, my my mom told me when I was young, before all this started happening, she said, "I'm never gonna I'm never gonna tell you what you should do with your life. I'm not gonna vicariously live through your life. I, I'm not going to be." Um, disappointed if you do this or this and not something else um i'm gonna champion you all the way and she said i but i just want you to know one thing i gave you your life and the only thing i want on in return is make the most of it and so um my mom continues to tell me that i'm making the most of it like every time i tell her like everything i do is services storytelling but, you know, I went from writing about rock and roll to writing about movies to writing and producing television to writing about the PBR to getting a graduate degree from Harvard to writing a book about black cowboys. And every way, every step along that that journey, along that way, you know, whenever I would tell my mom, I, I think it's time for me to do and then whatever the next it is. Right. Um, she would just say, hey, you're you're still making the most out of it. I I um I'm gonna support you. Yeah, that's that's that that's that's awesome. You know, and the thing is it's you know, your mom your mom's still alive now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, and I, I lost my mom in, in 2014 and and uh it's uh you know, you talk about, you know, you only get one life and it's short and it and it is, you know, you really start to realize that later later on. They say time flies, but um, good thing we can be the pilot of it, you know, and, and yeah. you, you just keep striving and, and, and doing what, you know, uh, is on your heart and, and what you feel inside you need to do. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of times, a lot of things I've done, just like the podcast, they, they came a lot later in life, but they, they came at the right time, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you say the right time. It's just the, the living in the moment, if you're living in the moment and making the most of the moment, then it's the right time. Exactly. Exactly. This is just, you know, and when you think about how many millions of years old the the planet is, yeah. the fact that the fact that we all came along and 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 intersected in this teeny tiny little window of time is just that's an amazing in and of itself. Yes. So, yeah. And and when you look at um just all the advances that have been made since we were in school, you know, I don't know how old you, I'm, I'm going to be 52 in December. And when I think about what technology was, um, then like big technology, what was, was the room having a remote control for your television and a cordless phone that you might be able to go on the, 
on the patio if the <laughs> if the dining room window was open and the and the base was sitting on the cabinet in the middle room you know it was right. like you might be able to step outside and have that conversation and um and now i i use this for everything but the phone yes. you know like yeah. you're calling me why are you calling me you should just <laughs> text me just just text me and i'll get back to you i'm, I'm watching a movie yeah, that's funny. Well, you know, I, I'm 62 years old, so I remember. Oh, look it, man, for yeah. real. <laughs> Thanks, man. But I, uh, I remember. Um, well, obviously, we had three channels when I was a kid, and yeah. that that phone weighed 8,000 pounds. But uh, I remember when Pong came out. You know, and I'm not a big video yeah. game guy, but Pong came out, and it's like when you think of how primitive Pong is compared to what we have nowadays, <laughs> when we're talking about technology, it's, it's pretty crazy. Same, same with pickups. You know, I, I had a 55 Chevy pickup when I was 16, uh, that I rebuilt, you know, and now I, now I look at the Dodge Ram Laramie that I drive with. I mean, just the technology that's in that pickup alone is it's crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. I got in my, uh, I flew up here to Wisconsin to visit my mom and I got in her car and she's had it forever because she hardly ever drives. Like it right. never leaves the garage, right? Right. And um, and I thought, man, the dashboard's not telling me what to do. Right. <laughs> like, this, this this is insane. I I I I looked and I was like, oh, that's right. I can't plug my phone in, and the dash is not telling me turn right in five hundred feet. Yeah. How how do we back up now if we don't have a backup camera? You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Absolutely. I mean, imagine if you were imagine if when you graduated from high school, you you went to so how long have you been out of school then? 40 well, years? Yeah, I mean, at least I uh, I graduated oh, 76. 76. 40, 40, 40, 45 years. Yeah. Imagine if you had committed just just this is imaginary. Gotcha. Malicious crime. You got sentenced to 45 years in prison. Yeah. You went in then and you got out now. Dude, you can't even pump gas. No. Yeah. You don't even know how to pump gas, let alone drive the car. Because back then, people came out and pumped our gas for us, washed our windshield, checked the oil. <laughs> yeah. We've gotten really sideways now, so I know I've overstayed my welcome. No, no, it's great. I love it, man. Yeah, well, KRC, I'll tell you, it's been a, a, just a, a pure thrill to have you on and— uh and, and you said that that PBR uh, that rodeo they're putting on uh, is June thirteenth, and it's in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. So June eleventh and twelfth is a PBR event at okay. PM, okay. and then on the thirteenth is the Bill Pickett Invitational Rodeo, an all black rodeo at the MGM as well. So it's um, it's a three day event. The first two days are the PBR. The third day on that Sunday, one o'clock, is. Um, Bill Pickett Invitational, and um, and then it'll air that a highlight of that event will air the next Saturday on on June nineteenth on um, on CBS. I don't know. I think different regions will have different times. So right. check your local listings for the Bill Pickett Invitational Rodeo on uh, Saturday afternoon on uh, CBS, and that's huge. That 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 CBS is wanting to do that. That the PBR extended the Olive Branch to connect the two organizations, both CBS and Bill Pickett. Um, it it's it's an incredible moment in the history of um, Black Rodeo. Yeah, 
Yeah, very cool. Now, I know we talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, you, you talked about where you can get the book. Basically, you can get the book, uh, pre-order anywhere it. You desire. In, anywhere you desire. Where, yeah, wherever you buy books, it's available for pre-order, and it'll be available when in November 1st when uh, on the release. Very cool. Well, KRC, uh, yeah, we're 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 heading towards Joe Rogan time on the podcast here. So, uh, we, we, I definitely want to do another one though. I want to I want to uh, uh, follow up with some of your other adventures and stuff. I think that it would be very very interesting, and, and the listeners would absolutely enjoy it. So, yeah, I'll um, I, and I have some of those those stories to to share from the the poison tour and. Rat, which are probably all yeah. in the wheelhouse. Um, I got. I have some Mickey Rourke stories I can share. <laughs> living in Los Angeles, I got. I, yeah, we can. Um, I, I can. I can. I can bring a smile to your face. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, you've noticed I've been smiling a lot through this whole thing. Hey, it's a good way to live. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, hey, enjoy the rest of your day, and then uh, we'll we will definitely be catching up soon. All right. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You bet. I come from a long line of legendary men, sons of the desert and riders on the wind. I got a restless spirit burning deep inside of me I ain't got much, but I'm free I've always been one to do it my own way I'm making my living between the saddle and the stage I don't know nobody, nothing Everything I got's my own Some say I'm just a man to the bone I'm a cowboy, yes I am I was born to rope and ride I'm a cowboy, that's my brand Until the day I die yeah, I got an old guitar Brand new set of strings From the radio to the rodeo I'm gonna do my thing I don't compromise on nothing What you see is what you get I may be broke and busted But they ain't killed me yet I'm a cowboy